Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, presented some challenges for all of us. You know, the good news, our patrons' numbers are still growing, almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know, I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tack box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead. They literally keep the MP3s rolling. Meanwhile, the patrons-only After Dark Facebook Live and Zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success. Conversation, support, laughter, some education, some mentorship, lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And, you know, things are crazy these days. There's a lot of things going on. And here at Pure Dog Talk, we don't always get to do sort of current events, if you will, or kind of straight news or any of that kind of stuff. But talking to a friend of mine, we decided that it was time to hit something straight on and really have some honest conversations. So my dear friend who I've known for many, many years, Randy Benz, is joining us and we are going to talk about Black at the Dog Show. So there you go. Welcome, Randy. I'm super glad you're here. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here, Laura. Hello, everybody. Hey. Randy, you were on an episode a couple of years ago with our friend, our mutual friend, Luke Wagenstoss, talking about the dangers of social media yeah. and some of the issues. And we're seeing it more today than we were seeing it then. So you were prescient, my friend. You were absolutely ahead of your time. But we're going to talk about a different one this time, and it's arguably even a more difficult subject, and that is being a person of color. Yeah, we went from social media to social distancing. Social distancing, right? Like, how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) So people of color and dog shows, and this has been a topic that's been thrown out to me a couple times, and you mentioned it a couple days ago, and I said, this is the time. This is a really good time to tackle this head on. We are having a national conversation about it. And as we know in dog shows, this is a microcosm of the whole world, right? So I am very, very interested to have you join us and talk about your experiences about being a black man at the dog show. 
So tell us, how did you get started? You worked for Dorothy Nichols way back because I remember, and we'll link the other podcast. You gave us a little bit of your information, but tell us how you got started in this. This is not a traditional path, perhaps. Well, I worked for Dorothy Nichols. She knew my parents and that's how I got introduced to her. And that was my first introduction into dogs. And what year was that, Randy? I don't know. I'm old. So um, it would have been when I was about 14, 15 years old. I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. Okay. And lived in Waco, Texas. And that's where I met her is when I went to Texas. Okay. Very good. And what did you do when you worked for Dorothy? Whatever she said. Anybody that knows or knows that you just follow orders. (laughs) So did you go, did you work in a kennel setting with her? Did you go to dog shows with her? I go to her house during the week some days and go to some of the dog shows with her, but I wasn't really allowed out of her setup because I think she was fearful for me to be out of her setup, out of her sight. So I stayed in the setup and fed and cleaned and all that stuff. Wow. And so when you say that she was fearful for you to be out of her setup, you mean that was because you were a teenager who was of African-American descent? Yes, pretty much. Now, the first thing she told me, she told my mom this was that I need to keep your nose clean. Don't get in any trouble. And you're in Texas. So this is Texas in probably what, the 70s, right? Oh, you're trying to age me out. You're trying to tell people my age. Sweetie, we're close to the same age. Come on. (laughs) Good point. Good point. I'm in good company. So yeah, it was probably in the 70s, in the early 70s, because I was born in Shreveport, lived there. Moved to Waco, Texas with my dad, went all over Texas, Houston and everything, and then went from Texas back to Streetport and then to Utah. Wow. All over the place. That's what you call culture shock, is moving from Streetport back to Utah. Yeah, Shreveport to Utah is culture shock. As you know, I went to college in Salt Lake City, and we've talked about this, and it's a different world, and it was definitely a different world then. Yeah. So... You came back to dogs after your introduction with Dorothy. You came back to dogs as an adult, right? Always kind of stayed in there a little bit. And so when I was about 19, I bought my own dog with just a pet. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to a fun match, I met a lady named Nancy McWright, which was Stu Rogel's ex-wife. And I worked for her for a little while. Okay. And talk to us about some of the situations that you found yourself in that were dog show specific. So we understand that racism exists. It exists day to day. How did that bleed over or did it into dog shows? Talk about that. Well, the racism didn't just start at a dog show. You know, it started from when I left home because sometimes you and I've talked about this before. I talked to you in Blackfoot, Idaho one time because yeah, when you said what took me so long to get there, it was because I got pulled over by a cop in Idaho, and they made me unload everything out of the van, and they checked all the dogs, all the crates and everything, to make sure I wasn't bringing drugs in, I guess. And they left me with everything on the side of the road, and I had to reload everything back up and drive to Idaho. You were showing a wire here at the time. I was just kind of learning a little bit about it, so I was picking your brain. Yeah, that was a long time ago, man. Come on, we're young. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's an everyday thing for you, for Black people in the United States. Right. And did you find dog shows to be better, worse, or the same? Well, basically, like you said earlier, it's a microcosm of the United States itself, you know, of this nation. 
And so it depends on the group of people you're around. I've been able to make some great friends there. You know, you spoke of Luke Bagenstoss, people that I call family. And like Ruth Sampson, you know, she's one of my clients that our relationship transcended client, employee, and everything like that. And it just became family, you know. So even though I work for her and she pays me, we also spend time outside of dog shows together and we go places together. She stays at my house. You know, she's been a big influence on my life. But I surround myself with people that I can trust because I've seen the ugly side of it, you know. And if I had a child, would I want him to show dogs? Not until he's an adult because some people will sugarcoat it and say it wasn't tough. It was tough going there. It see the little sides of racism that nobody wants to talk about. Like Lisa, she's seen people come up to me and ask me if I could go over their dog because their dog hasn't seen a black person and the judge they had is going to be black. So I never understood that because I'm thinking, why would a dog care? You know, they just want somebody nice to them and they'll feed them. Now, so I've had that before more times than I could count. I've had when I went under a black judge, and it might be one time that I've won under, might not have ever won under before. But if I do win, and there's very few black judges. Right. So if I do win, it's not that I have the best dog. It's the fact that, oh, you know, he must have thought you were his cousin or something. You know, that kind of stuff. Just the subtle racism. That's not real subtle. Compared to the other stuff, it is. Okay. All right. That's valid. My apologies. Add to it, you're married to a white woman. And that is something that I know for a fact, because I've had it said to me, and I was horrified, people address that in a very negative way. Yeah, I mean, in the dog shows, if you're around a certain group of people, them saying the N-word under their breath, or you know of somebody, and you know the story with somebody, when I first started dating, they said, is that N-word dating that white girl? Yes. But they didn't say dating. No. They put it a different way. Yeah, they definitely did put it a different way. And they said it to me. And I was just horrified. Right. But they said it in a way that you heard it too. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. I was, racists usually aren't that intelligent. And so they don't know that they're talking loud or saying things around people that it gets back to you or saying it around where you can hear it. You know, so sometimes they think they're being sneaky about it. and. You know, that's their thing. As long as they keep it sneaky, it's not that big of a bother. But, you know, it's the overt racism. One of the first big acts of racism that I seen at a dog show, it was directed towards me, a guy named Chris Bird and Lori Finner. And we were all three sitting. I got my first Best in Show about a month earlier. She got a Best in Show a month before I did. And Chris had had a number of best in shows. He'd worked for a guy named Eddie Boyce. And all three of us won our groups in Blackfoot, Idaho. And there was a white handler that's retired a long time ago. And there's no need to bring him up. But we were getting ready to go into the best in show ring. And so this is the way he put it. I'm going to say exactly how he said it. He said, he said I'm glad I'm retired. I know it's time to quit dog shows when there's two niggers and a nip in the best in show lineup. And, you know, at that point, what do you do? He said it loud enough, everybody in the ring, everybody outside the ring heard him say it. So it was either run or, you know, I'm glad I had parents that were tough and that taught me not to fear anything. Don't run away. You know, just do your job. And I'm glad I had mentors that were the same way. And I had friends that basically backed me. And so I just took my dog, walked in the ring, did my job. They did their job. And us three got together and talked about it after, 
you know, and say, could you believe that he said that? And blah, blah, blah. And the guy was kind of, I would say, scared a lot of people. And so everybody would come up to us and tell us, don't say anything to him or don't do anything. Be careful because that guy, you know, he's a mean guy. He'll do something to you. So, you know, that was one of the first major things that I've had happen. I've also had little things that don't matter, like they are going to park me way in the back, you know, even though I've sent my parking in first and they knew it and I knew it. And a guy I alluded to, Eddie Boyce, earlier, everybody said he's a bigot. Well, he's one of the few that stuck up for me at a show and made the person that parked me way in the back park me right next to him. And I start laughing because I thought, oh, God, you know, I could be parked way away and have to walk apart next to somebody that already told me he's a bigot. And that's out of Eddie's mouth himself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what he said directly to me. And I thought, well, he can't be too much of a bigot if he just stuck up for me and parked me right next to him and made sure I didn't have to walk from one end of the showgrounds to the show building. So can't be that bad. And like I said, he's been, I think people paint him the wrong way because he says he is. And I think he says that to get a reaction out of people. I don't really think that he is because he's been kind to me from that was the first time I'd met him. And he's been kind to me from that day all the way till now. He says some smart aleck stuff. But that's, you know, if you met him, that's how he is. And you made a comment to me earlier, Randy, that I thought was really insightful and really important. And that is, in your words, in, in Eddie's words, even a bigot that is a good dog man focuses on the dogs because they love the sport not the racism. If you get somebody that's actually here to make the sport grow, to make the sport be what it is, they're going to look outside of color and everything else because they want to do something for what their first love is. And, you know, you got to love the sport more than you dislike the race or the color or the nationality of somebody else. And there's a number of people like that out there. I mean, I don't want to get it twisted to where it sounds like everybody's racist because There's more good people than bad people. But like they say, the squeaking wheel always gets the oil. That's the one that you always hear and you see is the negative and the bad. And, you know, like I said, it hasn't been easy. And somebody asked me a long time ago if I thought I would have won more if I was white. And my answer to that would have been definitely. I would have won much more if I was white because there's been judges that I've went under that like I've been in the ring and they made a point of putting me on the end, no matter how good the dog was. And I've had dogs that I've shown to a certain judge. That judge would walk that dog out of the ring without even looking at him. And people would come up and say, oh, I can't believe that he walked that dog out of the ring. That's right up his alley or right up her alley. And then I'd give that dog to somebody else. When they, that same judge was judging at another show, they would take that same dog in. It wouldn't show as well for them because it wasn't trained by them. And they would win the group or place in the group. And it was the same dog. There was no difference except for I wasn't on the end of the league. So you've got to draw your own conclusion to that. And like I said, I've got good people, and I always make sure I'm around good people. And the other people, I just pretty much just ignore them because I'm not going to change their mind. They've already been institutionalized that this is how they think. And a lot of them won't do it to your face or to people they know that's not going to condone that they'll do it behind closed doors or with other people, but they can't seem to do like other judges and not bring it to the ring. You know, just judge dogs. No, that's all I ever ask. Judge dogs, because I figure if you're only going to judge dogs, I always have a chance. But if you're going to judge me for who, you know, my race or anything like that, 
They're not, because I always look at it this way. Character matters. Yes. And that's why I keep my nose clean. There's no rumors going around about me. There's no issues in my life. I've always kept everything on the up and up. I don't overcharge my clients. I don't take 20 dogs. I try to do things because I know that if any other black kid wants to show dogs, anything I do wrong is going to be magnified a thousand times. And it's going to be, you know, that black handler that did this. But there's so many white handlers out there. You have handlers that lose truckloads of dogs. You have handlers that have dogs die in their setup or they are aggressive and mean to their clients. They get suspended for this. They drink all the time. You know, they do all of this stuff. I don't drink, smoke, or do any of that. But if I did, that would be something that would be part of my legacy. That would be part of what I did in dogs. And I can't put myself in a position of doing something that would negatively impact anybody else of a color that might want to come in and show dogs and at least have a fair shot at it. So, you know, I'm on the constant of watching what I say, what I do, where I go. I don't stay out late at night. I don't run from trailer to trailer like a lot of handlers, you know, have been known to do. I don't prey on young girls. I don't do any of this stuff because, like I said, if I did it, you'd hear about it. You don't do it because you're a good human, P.S., but I think that the point is very well taken. There it is. You are a good human. Knock it off. I think the point is really well taken that you hold yourself to a higher standard than other people might out of respect for people of color who will come behind you. Right. But it's not just me, Laura. See, it's people like you held me to a high standard when I show dogs, you know, because when we're out there, you pretty much set me straight when I had a bad attitude by the ring. Well, you're not the only one. (laughs) Right. But I'm saying you can deal with that because I know you came from a good place telling me when I was showing wires for other people, you considered me your opponent, not your enemy. Oh God. Yeah. Difference. Big difference. I think that's really important in so many things. I mean, it certainly applies to race, but it applies to so much else of what's going on in our current world. We can be opponents and not be enemies. And I think you just put a bracket around something I want people to hear and really hear. It's okay to be opponents. It is not okay to be enemies. Right, right. Because like I said, you know, I've been, I'd like to say lucky. But it said I work really hard all the time. I found out early on, instead of taking 15 and 20 dogs, why not take six and win with them? Yeah. You know, that way I can devote more time to just a few dogs. Worked for me too. (laughs) Yeah, you've always taken very few dogs to show. Yeah. I never took or wanted gas mini dogs. I wanted to represent the very best of whatever breed I was showing. That was just something I was really weird about, so... Well, Ms. Dorothy and Nancy McWright, all the people that I really respect have said this. If you take bad dogs in, you'll be known for taking bad dogs. If you take good dogs in, you'll be known for taking good dogs. It's going to be up to you on which side of history you're going to be on after it's over with, with dogs. You know, like once you are done showing dogs, people are going to know just what you did in dogs, not what you say you did. That's right. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Embark is really, really committed to providing a resource for responsible breeders and purebred dog enthusiasts. And we know these are tough times. And to help serve breeders right now, when we need it, starting in April, 
Embark is going to reduce its prices significantly through a series of sales and programs to help make the DNA testing even more accessible for everybody. So stop by, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, or hop on to their Embark for Breeders Facebook page and take a look at what they have on offer. As always, Embark's leading DNA test kits provide a comprehensive assessment of your dog's genetic health, genetic diversity, and physical traits. And I can tell you, I just got back the two Embark tests that I had done on my own dogs, and it was so cool. And I spent like half the day clicking through all the fun stuff. So stop by the Pure Dog Talk website and click the Embark logo on the homepage and take a look at what they have on offer. Okay, so the last parting words, Randy, for other people of color. This is, as I said, a conversation that's come up. The number of people and everybody has thoughts and ideas. I would like to hear your thoughts and ideas in terms of we're trying to be more inclusive in dogs, incorporate people of color, incorporate different ideas, build the list of people who show dogs, right? This is a sport that needs fresh blood. We need new people. Oh, definitely. So if we'd like to incorporate people of color, what are some of the things that you recommend both to our exhibitors today and to people of color who might be coming into the sport? Well, I just like to say people rather than people of color. Okay. Because when you're saying people of color, you know, like me, I get tricked into that same rope that everybody else gets trapped in which is saying people of color instead of just saying people, because it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what nationality, what race, what anything. That shouldn't have anything to do with what we're there for. Because you got to think, if you exclude anybody from dogs, what you're doing is you're taking money away that could be there for judging, that could be there for the superintendents to use for facilities, for being able to block out rooms in a hotel so people can get rooms. I mean, you're taking money that pays AKC to run the whole thing. People think that we're going to save this just for us. It didn't work with basketball, didn't work with football, (laughs) didn't work with baseball, didn't work with golf, didn't work with NASCAR as of right now. And (laughs) the fact is, people are going to be there whether you want them to be there or not. Now, you got to decide whether you're going to judge somebody on, as Martin Luther King said, the color of their skin or the content of their character. Because I know black people that are awful. I know Hispanic people that are awful. I know white people that are awful. But I know hundreds of thousands of more that are good, that actually bring something to life. And I think that if we decide, rather than fighting against each other, fighting for each other, because, you know, like I said, everybody says, well, the gay community and dogs has it easy. No, they don't have it easy. They have the same thing that every single one of us has. They have to get accepted. There's people and dogs that do the, I hate to say this, but there's uh, fake Christians and dogs that do the pray away the gay and you don't go to heaven because of this or black people are lesser because of this. That's their sickness. It's not ours. We don't have to embrace what they're saying, you know, and if you're a good person, don't give those bad people and the bad things that are happening, don't give that energy. Don't give that air, you know, because the minute you do that, you become part of that. If somebody comes in and they're against somebody because of heritage or whatever, if you turn your back on that person, you become that person. 
So I don't know, just love everybody, you know, enjoy your life. You know, right now, everybody in dogs is hurting. You know, there's no dog shows. And the people that you were the meanest to would probably be the ones that could help you. And the clients that you don't treat as well as you should treat. And this is one thing I want to say, and this has to do with everything, creed, color, people. There's no black, no white, no anything, but your clients. If you treat them good, they'll take care of you and treat you good. You treat them bad, and you know, you'll be looking for jobs and doing other things. And when this is over, there's probably going to be a lot of people that aren't going to be able to come back from this. And that's sad to say, but the people that do come back are coming back because they love it, because it's part of their life. It's something that they've lived. Like you and I, I've known you, oh, maybe 30 years. I mean, Very close. I was young and a little less good looking back then, but I've known you for a long time. We've been around this and the sport's not going anywhere. The sport's going to be around. Everybody's saying, well, when it comes back, it's going to come. It'll come back smaller, but it's going to build itself back up if everybody just takes care of each other. There's no people that need you more than you need them, but then you're going to need somebody else more than they're going to need you. So if you just look at everything as, let's do this together, let's make it grow together. If the judges start, and I'm saying this to the judges, anybody that's listening, if you judges start picking the dogs that deserve it and not picking people that you know or picking people that you feel you owe or anything like that, and just judge dogs. The sport will be healthier. It'll be better. Holla! Just judge the dogs. (laughs) It'd be amazing. That will take racism. That'll take favoritism. That'll take all of that out of there. Because not one handler is going to always have the best dog. Dog Show World has thousands and thousands upon thousands of dogs. One handler doesn't get all the great ones. That's right. And when you take away from that one handler that has some good dogs, but he's not well-known, and you take away from him or her, guess what you're doing? Now you're making that breeding program that could grow up to be the next Pat Trotter, that could grow up to be the next Annie Clark, that could grow up to be the next Michelle Billings or the Forsyth or some of the other great dog people. That takes away from them because that person will lose enough to walk away. And what have you done? You've hurt the sport because within yourself, you are not being a judge. You're just being a person pointing at dogs. And, you know, like I said, me, I don't care anymore about whether win, lose, or draw. I care about doing a good job. And so if I do a good job and you don't point at me, guess what? You've lost. I haven't. If I do a good job and you still don't point at me, again, you've lost. I haven't. Because handlers and owner handlers mostly pay for you to be at that show. You know, you're hired by them. And just because the club hires you don't mean that you can't be kind and you can't be nice and you can't be pleasant. You know, that's why the show is getting smaller. They're not getting the people they need because you're taking away from the people that need it the most. I think that's really, really, really valid point, Randy. And I think that as we say in current events and the time we're in, I love the work together and support each other. And I think and hope and pray that people will hear that. And I mean, not just listen to the podcast, I mean, hear it and live it and act on it. And there will be a lot stronger sport for it in the end. Well, yeah. And you know, like I said, our generation, my generation anyway, has been blessed to have people like you. You know, we have 
judges like Dorothy Nichols, Lorraine Boutwell, Beverly Capstick, you know, that yes. just go in and judge dogs. They don't care whether you're, you know, I've won and I've lost under all of those judges. Mm-hmm. We've been blessed to have people like that that we could look at, you know, the foresights, even whether you liked them or not, you look at them and people you could look up to. Yeah. And we were lucky to have that. And the generations now don't have that. They have judges that want to just get as many groups as they can. Yeah. There's a lot fewer heroes in our sport today. But you know what? Everybody should realize this. You can be that hero. It's up to you. That's absolutely valid. You can be the hero. All right, Randy, you are my hero. I love you, man. Love you much, dear. Appreciate you. Appreciate all you do. Hey, Delisa, for me, okay? Done and done. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.